Welcome to the Perfume Room and Happy Valentine's Day. My scent of the day today is a bit controversial in these parts and definitely not what I will be wearing on the day this episode comes out, Valentine's Day, because my boyfriend is like perturbed by it, but I love it. So let me tell you more. Okay, so I am wearing Umema, which if you recall in episode 70, is the fragrance that the perfumer Hugo Charon created for Emma Dancourt, a French journalist and podcaster living with anosmia. Now, if you haven't listened to that episode, you must. It's one of the most interesting episodes to date. Anyway, I finally got my hands on a long-awaited sample direct from Hugo himself, and honestly, it kind of felt like a drug deal to get it. Like, I met him on a street corner for the handoff. We'd been DMing about this sample back and forth for months, but you know what? That journey makes it all the more rewarding to wear. And here are my thoughts. To me, it smells like first impressions, like ambergris, honeydew, and orris. It's skin-like in that sort of gauzy, salty, ambergris way, but it feels full and warm at the same time and dewy, but not like petally or raindrop dewy. Dewy, like, as I mentioned, like honeydew dewy. Do I just call honeydew dewy because it's called honeydew and that's just like me making that inference in my head? I don't know, but you know what I mean? It's like round and full, but melon-like. And I remember in the conversation that Emma had mentioned that one of the few tastes that she could discern was umami. And so in this fragrance, she really wanted that element of a savory umami profile, hence the name. And I think that that's what the seaweed note in here, and I assume ambergris, I think there's ambergris in this fragrance, does in this scent. It adds a sort of saltiness to otherwise soothing notes of musk and orris and mate and bergamot. And there's this subtle sweetness too, as if somebody had dusted the final product with cocoa powder. So I will describe this fragrance in the context of other fragrances. And you know my disclaimer, which is that I am in no way accusing, or not necessarily, not in this instance at least, accusing a fragrance of copying another fragrance. It just helps me describe it better. And it helps me remember specific smells when I compare them to different aspects of other scents. Okay, so if you've tried Lost Caused from Fleur, which I've talked about numerous times on this podcast, imagine that sort of warm, enveloping, but musky aspect of that scent, which actually shares many notes in common with this one. And then, okay, mix it. And I know it's gonna be controversial what I'm about to say. Mix it with the salty seaweed situation that you get in Secretion Magnifique. Yes, I said what I said. And I say it while giving Umema the highest praise. Okay, because in Secretion Magnifique, that saltiness to my nose goes like nauseating seminal fluids. In Umema, it goes like alluring, salty sweat. You get what I'm saying? Like, oh, if you like um, Mugler Womanity too, this is like a softer, slightly sweeter version of that. I love that this fragrance feels sort of like quietly loud or loudly quiet. Like it's, it has this big projection and sillage, but it still feels skin-like. Now, after giving you guys this review, I just realized, and I'm sorry, I don't even know if it's on sale yet, but I promise you, as soon as I have any updates, I will share them here and post the link of where you can try Umema. Okay, and it is Valentine's Day. Let me be timely and share with you the fragrance that I am 90% certain I will be wearing tonight, which is Pavilion from Andrea Mock. Are you sick of hearing me talk about this fragrance yet? Well, don't be, because I'll probably talk about it more. She gifted me this scent a few weeks back and I have just been loving it. If your Valentine's Day aesthetic is like a hot pink lip, like Pavilion is that scent. 
Now, I did an in-depth review of this fragrance on Instagram and on TikTok, so I will spare you for time's sake here, but definitely watch that video if you want to learn more. And stay tuned because midway through this episode, I have a special announcement. Let's move on to our guest. She is a wonderful human, insanely talented perfumer, and an instant friend. Today, we are joined by Dana Elmasri. In addition to being the founder and perfumer of her fragrance brand, Jasmine Sarai, Dana is also an interdisciplinary artist, published writer, lecturer, and vocalist. To her work and her art, she brings a very unique global perspective as she is a Lebanese and Egyptian Canadian who was raised in Dubai, currently resides in Montreal, and also lived in New York and France. She trained at the Grass Institute of Perfumery, and in addition to her own fragrances, Dana has also created scents for musicians, brands, hotels, and art spaces. She's a member of the board of the Institute for Art and Olfaction, where she also teaches various workshops and judges for the Art and Olfaction Awards. And Dana also has a fragrance podcast. It's called On the Nose. Check it out. Today, you'll hear about the smells of her childhood and the many places she's lived, which leads to a bigger conversation surrounding why the O word is not only offensive, it's just inaccurate. Dana's been at the forefront of the movement to change this language, and she takes us through the four categories and descriptors that we should be using instead. We learn about Dana's For You page on TikTok and what keeps her up at night. Spoiler alert, they are one and the same. She shares with us about her time living in grass. We go through her fragrance collection, and she tells us about her experiences as someone with strong intermodal perception. Let the record state that Thursday is indeed winter green. I will also just say I recorded this episode the day before I recorded last week's solo episode, so you might hear some redundant thoughts and opinions on my parts, because you know what? They were top of mind at the time. It is my pleasure to bring you Dana Elmasri. Dana, welcome to the Perfume Room. How are you doing today? I am good, Emma. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to speak with you. It's so nice to put a face to the perfumes that I've been smelling for the last few weeks. And it just, before we even get into it, so for everyone listening, I have your mixtape discovery set. And there's something that just feels very intimate about it. Like, I feel like these all feel like pieces of you. And so talking to you feels so like I'm completing the the story, if that means anything. Totally. Yes. I love that. I mean, I'm a 90s, I'm an 80s, 90s kid. So the idea of even making a mixtape for someone is kind of vulnerable. Yeah. And yeah. So that's, that. you know, it's like my, it's my, it's my mixtape, you know, it's my little playlist for everybody. It's like my little love, love note. Were you burning mixtapes and CDs as a kid, as a teen? I was burning CDs. Yes. Not tapes. Um, but I had a lot of like I had like a small tape recorder that I would just use and I would record mm-hmm. things. And then I was really into my Walkmans and my Discmans. Discmans. Yeah. 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 Especially the chunky one where you can add like the straps and walk. Oh with yeah. It. Where you could like wear it like a bag. And just- yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Dana, what are you currently wearing? I wore Femité du Bois today. Yeah. I'm curious what fragrances are um, in your collection, in your rotation, that are not your own? I have a few, but I only have them in like miniatures because I often smell like a mix of everything I'm making. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I had the first perfume I actually like bought for myself, which was in New York, like a large size, which was, it was Serge Luten's Claire du Musc. Mm. Um, So I'm a big Serge Luten's fan, I'd say. I love their perfumes and they wear nicely on my skin. Um, I have a little mini of the Feminité du Bois, I have a 
a little bit of leftover. <laughs> it's lasted me a while because I'm obsessed, but Francis Kirk and John made it, I believe. It's um, Indult, Manakara. Uh, what else? I have this like little oil from Lebanon from like one of mm -hmm. the Atar, which is like the, it doesn't translate to perfumer, but like perfume seller, let's say, like the small little mm -hmm. perfume shops. Mm -hmm. uh, I have, of course, um, Miss Cravageur, Frederick Mal, but it's so strong that I take it and I dilute it with alcohol from the lab and I wear like a lighter version of it. And mm -hmm. I, it keeps going forever. <laughs> so yours is not like musk brevisure. It's like musk, like petite. Photo toilette. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, little baby. Because like I can't, I mean, I live in Canada. Um, people get offended by this yeah. kind of scent. If I lived in the Middle East, people would be like, oh my God, you're delicious. What is this? You yeah. know, here people are like, oh my God, this is too strong. What What is the scent scene like in Canada? I know you're in Montreal. Like what's trending over there? Now, uh, it's different. It's very different now than, I mean, I've been living here, I don't know, like 18 years on and off, minus mm -hmm. France, minus New York. Uh, well, right now, I mean, there's a few little pockets of niche perfume and like small little, re like, you know, locations that sell niche perfume. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like niche, not independent. Um mm -hmm. When it comes to the indie or artisan scene, it's really been growing lately. We have um, Isabelle Michaud of Monsillage. She mm -hmm. won an Art and Olfaction Award several years ago for her celery-centric um, perfume mm -hmm. called Eau de Celery. Um, yeah, and then there's some people really like Lunea, but she's an all-natural perfumer. We're very different. Mm -hmm. All of us were super, super different, but there's not much of a scene. It's like uh, Canada mm -hmm. at large, when it comes to scent culture, I don't think they um, find as much value in it as, let's say, gastronomy or mm -hmm. wine or fashion. Like people here are much more into food and wine, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of fashion, a little bit of film. Um a little bit of the art scene, obviously, we're all like most of us are artists or musicians mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. yeah, or techies. I just saw an article from like Time Out of like, these are the 10 coolest places you can live. And it listed, is it called Mile End or Miles End? That yeah, Mile End. Like a na Mile End. It was like, this is one of the coolest neighborhoods in the entire world to live in, allegedly. I mean, it was a little, I don't know. They also said that like Ridgewood, Queens is like the coolest area. <laughs> yeah. Of I mean, New York City. So I'm like, I don't know. Not that Ridgewood's not cool, but I'm like, who curated this? It's interesting yeah. selections. I mean, it's always also who you ask, because if you ask me, I'm going to be a realist and say, mm, I don't know. I'm I'm known not to be like the most positive person in the world. So I would, I, I'd be like, uh, you know, my lens, chill. It's chill. You can get a bagel. Um, and the bagel is very different than the New York bagel. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's already like a fun thing to try out. Um, mm -hmm. Coffee is really good here. We have really good coffee. Um, this I don't is a find mini, it... like Montreal tourism episode. So yes, thank you, for... you know, yeah, people <laughs> film here, by the way, and it's sometimes sometimes it looks like New York, right? So they yeah, so like yeah. it's cheaper. Like I think they filmed X Men here for some reason. I'm like, where? Uh, but um, I I don't know. I mean, this isn't my. You know, I, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to be a Montrealer. It's kind of complicated with language mm -hmm. and racial politics. But um, 
I'm kind of like, yeah, I've said this everywhere. I'm just kind of like a mix of a lot of different things. And I'm here and I've been here now half of my life in, in the Western wow. world, which is pretty shocking to me. I never mm-hmm. thought I'd be here um, this long, but I needed somewhere to go back to after New York. So Yeah, you, you mentioned you, you did a stint in New York, but it wasn't necessarily like, didn't feel right. You felt a little burned out, you were saying? I mean, New York, I love New York so much. It's one of my favorite cities. Um, There's so much individualism there and so much creativity and you're on the go all the time, but I'm not an on the go all the time kind of person. (laughs) I need rest. Um, And I need rest in between creativity. And I know for a fact that all perfumers don't like to work on like extreme deadlines. They need, they need mm-hmm. space, you know, they need yes, space to yes. think and figure stuff out. And um, I was just doing too much, I think. So I was working at Joya uh, in Brooklyn and then mm-hmm. I, I had Jasmine Sarai at the same time and I did a terrible job <laughs> at keeping Jasmine Sarai afloat because I was working on so many projects and I say this a lot but like Montreal a New York minute is like a Montreal month so Montreal is so much slower than Mm -hmm. New York and Montreal there's like such a low ceiling and Mm -hmm. I don't know you can't really for me as someone who's like really globally minded and Mm -hmm. really into just being around people from different cultures it's just too low and and you really have a lot of restrictions. And then New York, the ceiling just keeps breaking. It's just never enough. You're just on that ladder and you're like, go, yes. go, go. And you got it. And then you're like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm working on more and more and more. And I just couldn't keep up. I just couldn't keep up. It's just like nothing is ever enough in this city. Let's get back to you. Do you have a signature scent profile? I mean, if, or a signature scent, but like what is the essence of you? Um, I would say scent profile for sure, because I've definitely worn all kinds of scents and I really love perfume. I lean towards florals, mm-hmm. uh, musks. I really love musk. Like my professor at GIP, uh, the amazing um, Max Gavari would say, like, I smell your musk before I walk in. And I would spray mm-hmm. like one little bit of body shop white musk, which is what how like that's what I was wearing back then. Love. Yeah. How could I wear body shop white musk to perfume school? It's oh actually quite a complex formula. It's a very, yeah. very complex formula if you break it down. But um, yeah, um, I like ambers, florals. Yeah, and then things lean kind of sweet on me, so I don't go too gourmands because I too gourmand because I don't need to. It really depends on my mood. I I really love to incorporate scent into my wardrobe, into my my emotional state. Also depends on what city I'm in. One thing that I had been, that we had sort of talked about was um, some of your different olfactory exhibits. And I saw that you had an exhibit at a gallery in Montreal called Je suis d'ici. And that it was, I am from here. And it was about sort of you grappling with your otherness in every place that you've been, which I definitely want to hear more about as I know you've lived in so many different places and are multicultural but what did Je suis d'ici end up smelling like? What did you decide was you in that smell portrait? It, it was a mix of things. So it wasn't just one thing. It was actually a representation of almost every place that I've been. Um, but also materials that I lean really towards while whether it was like in the use of my work or in my daily life or in 
family or things like that. So I had a, a, a little vial of jasmine oil and it was Egyptian jasmine, which is a little bit dankier <laughs> than the other jasmines. Um, I had a little bit of um, gifted bukhur. So it was like um, incense that was, it was a mix of oud, rose and musk. And it was made by like this person, who, his mother made it and he gifted it to me. Mm-hmm. And that was from the UAE, so the United Arab Emirates. I had a little bit of cardamom. I had a, a little bowl of frankincense and benzoin and a little bit of myrrh. And then I had some rose petals. What are some of the different scents that you associate with different aspects of, of you? Well, my parents are both Arab, but Egypt is in North Africa and Lebanon is more like in the Mediterranean. And they're hyper different. Like they don't they don't even speak the same dialect. And the environments are also super different. So Egypt is much more like desert or sea and Lebanon, there's a little bit of sea, but more mountains. So already in the nature, it's they're really like stark contrasts. Um, and Egyptians are very um, loud and uh, jokey and Lebanese people are a little bit more chill, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. I wonder if it's because of like the French colonization or what, but that's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> that's what happens when you talk to me, though, is that we're going to go into like a million tangents. Um, all this to say, I would say like Cairo is... Um, very dusty. There's a lot of like desert environments, much more dry. Mm-hmm. Um, depends on where you are, but you can like interchangeably smell like, you know, like trash or burning garbage or sewage. But at the mm-hmm. same time, you can also smell like jasmine and mangoes and mint and, um, there's also like a popular like 4711 Arab Arabic version called like three fives. <laughs> so just five five. Just five, new five. numbers. Yeah. Five 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 with little flowers. So it's very like eau de cologne, but like mm-hmm. Arabic style. Um, I associate Cairo with like lemonade because we have like these really small lemons and they make the lemonade with the rind. So it's just mm-hmm. so yum, yum, yum. Mm-hmm. And they put like a lot of sugar and a lot of mint. So it's very refreshing. Yeah, and I, I guess I would associate it with my family too and my grandparents, even though I grew up with them in Dubai, um, I don't know, their scent is kind of everywhere. So the jasmine in their garden, my grandma has like peach blossoms. In Lebanon, it's much more temperate. Uh, you can also smell a lot more like menaish, which is uh, like this flatbread. So in the mornings, the bakeries, you can smell that flatbread a lot. It's much more aromatic because there's like thyme and pine. Uh, Cedar, obviously, uh, are like national tree. It's much more fresh. There's a lot more like lemon. Well, it's also something that I know has been a part of bigger conversations that you've had that I know Yosh has had of this idea of like the O word symbolizing one scent. And so just hearing you talk about all these different places, you know, talking about the smells of Egypt versus Dubai versus Lebanon and just how vastly different they are, I think just also sort of shows just how, aside from being offensive, it's just so inaccurate to put one category with one region. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and what's what I've been trying to do for the last few years is because like is just even just from a geographical standpoint break it down to people be like hi <laughs> this is where this country is this is where this country is don't conflate this culture with this culture and and sometimes I understand like it can be confusing like I had I have a lot of like microaggression based interactions here in Canada and there was this one guy who's like yeah I've been to Tunisia and I'm like that's that's amazing Tunisia looks beautiful and I have some Tunisian friends it's it's it seems lovely you know and he he noticed that there was like Arabic on some of the the writing and I appreciate that because like you know Arabic is not an easy language a lot of people are kind of afraid of it especially in North America so I can recognize that like it's not on me to do the work but it's also on me to be patient so mm -hmm. uh you know and when someone is interested in my culture and not afraid of it it's like whoa okay cool great mm -hmm. but then mm -hmm. he started like going really hard into t tunisia and i'm just like guy do you, you know i'm not from there right like i'm not from there we don't even speak the same dialects and this happens all the time so back in like i think it was 2018 when uh i went to la and i did my residency at the institute for art and all faction mm -hmm. we started uh the the sentence society program the first thing i did was draw out a map of what was at back then called like uh middle east and north africa which is still the trade name but now mm -hmm. some people call it swana which is southwest right. asia north africa mm -hmm. which is still again geographically accurate so i'm all about just accuracy and nuance mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i can recognize the differences within my own cultures because my parents are so different and their different their cultures are so different but also because i lived in dubai for 16 years and it's different it does not represent like at least 80% of the arab population whether it comes to like language culture and especially um class and like mm. affluence and safety you know what i mean like yeah so there's all of these different things and there's so much education but a lot of it just comes to like cultural geographic historical the historical one gets a little complicated and most people don't even realize that so many of the countries on the arabian peninsula historically all like if you look at like there's biryani there's so much there's so many spices so many interesting um, rituals that are actually been passed on from India and Sri Lanka and Bangladesh and maybe even Zanzibar mm -hmm. and all of these different influences over time. So it's important to understand those things. And, and one more thing, I'm sorry, because yeah, the, no, o word, the O word doesn't even just cover my own cultures and my adjacent, the adjacent cultures to my own. We're talking also about like Southwest, whole, A, Southeast yes. Asia, South Asia, and the colonization of those all entire, entire areas. So it's, it, that's the part that really drives me nuts. It's like, how could you confuse, how could you conflate and confuse such vastly different cultures? And it, you could see it from ge from geography. So even from just understanding genetics and geography and how things work, how could you not understand that there's like, we are completely interconnected, 100%, and we always will be, but we're absolutely different and we need to be right. celebrated as such. Right. I think it get, I think what's so interesting too is that I feel like the West has had a basic mastery of this understanding of, of that you can't, classify an entire part of the world as and I'm putting in air quotes like the orient because the, well aside from the offensive aspect of it it's just inaccurate as we were saying 
but people have seemed to grasp this when it comes to food. Like, I feel like if you said, I'm going to eat this, like, I feel like people understand Japanese food versus Indian food versus Lebanese food. Yes. Like, it's like, it's, it's almost like if they're exposed to it, if they have it in their palate repeatedly, then they understand the nuances. And maybe that's where, that's where all the work that you're doing, I think is so, like, people are, it's lack of awareness, not that it's an excuse, but it's like people don't understand. No, they don't. They don't. And part of it is exactly that is sharing it. Sharing mm-hmm. the topic is really hard, right? But that's kind mm-hmm. of my hope is that we do have something like that in perfumery. How beautiful would that be to understand the right. difference between like a Malaysian point of view versus someone from Hong Kong? Right. Like, right. or it just understanding like that we all have these beautiful memories and cultures that we would love to bring forward. And it would be interesting to, to learn the difference. I've even been seeing like on TikTok, like Arab perfumery and I'm like, it was Arabic perfumery. And I think I was like, guys, it's Arab perfumery because Arabic is the language, but mm-hmm. you know, or like Arabian, yeah. I'm like, no, we're not horses. And so <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, this is great. This is really, really great because before they would call them Orient, like those, that whole class, they would classify any Oud or any, anything like that as Oriental, Mm -hmm. right? And I think Mm -hmm. what we've been talking about with Yosh in particular is like, just why don't we, why don't we just focus on the smell part? Yeah. And like when I teach my genealogy classes, I try to be like, okay, actually, if you look at the Oriental category, you can break it down into four categories that already exist and you can mix them up if you want so we have balsamic we have Mm -hmm. ambery which are different Mm -hmm. right and then you have how would you differentiate them for people listening um ambery and balsamic balsamic is stickier ambery is maybe saltier and less sweet Mm -hmm. they're inter there it is confusing because like benzoin is balsamic but like frankincense is ambery Mm-hmm. Vanilla is in the ambery category. I don't think it should be there. I would I would call it balsamic. You know? Okay. All the balsams, yeah. tolu balsam, mm-hmm. peru balsam, they're all in the balsamic family. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sticky, sweet, ambery is a little bit like more labdanum, cystus, mm-hmm. frankincense. Yeah, I would call them a little bit saltier. Mm. To me, they're all mystic. They're both kind of mystic. Uh, and then you have powdery and gourmand. Mm-hmm. That's a great distinction. Everyone listening, just think of those four categories. It's a box. You know, like, it's a and, box. And like vanilla could be like in the middle. I actually created like a, a little table, but like, yeah, you know, like vanilla could be ambery balsamic or it could be ambery balsamic gourmand. You know, um, what's what's one that's classified as an oriental that we could switch? Like oud satin mood or something? Okay, I mean, that could be powdery gourmand if it's sweet, or it could be mm-hmm. a powdery ambery. But wood is technically a wood, so it could be an ambery woody or it's a powdery so woody. Yeah, yeah. But it's at least a little bit easier for the person to understand mm-hmm. that, oh, this is a wood, or this is a spice, or this is mm-hmm. this, and this smells like that. And it's mm-hmm. easier to understand than mm-hmm. saying, oh, yeah, it's an oriental. What, what does that mean? What does a floriental right. mean? What does that actually mean? And it, it, it's, it's so all encompassing. It doesn't give you enough detail. Because no. 
And I'm this all word has education. been used to describe everything. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So the hate that we've received over the last few years is really more about this obsession with fantasy and people really getting stuck on this word. And then also not really understanding like and just being empathetic to others. Like if someone says this is offensive. Hear it. Yeah. Like who's to say like this isn't offensive to them? It's, I don't want to compare it to like the, the, the gender conversation, but if someone says, I prefer to go by they, am mm-hmm. I going to be like, no, you're not yeah. allowed. Like that right. messes with my view of you. Like, no, I go, okay, I'm going to learn to, to I'm going to make sure to remember that next time I see yeah. you or every time I see you, that's it. Like, it's not about like making, you know, ostracizing anyone. It's actually about like progress and moving forward. And look at how like this industry has changed in such a short time and has over the last however hundreds hundreds of years that it's actually thousands of years outside of the Western French perfume industry, right? So come on, like, it's just about being open-minded. It's just, and again, learning about new cultures. Like we're just getting closer and closer and closer as a world, right? Like, Mm -hmm. why not? learn and, why not? and be respectful like I, I really don't see why it's so like such a big deal and it's so hard and people are being so mean about it it's just like not necessary and I don't think it's also necessary for us to be doing the work so much like you have no yeah. idea the, the, a lot the of the labor the scene. is on you of like all the stuff that you're educating. oh my god um, I, I mean I had like we stopped future all fact because there was just so much work there was just so much work yeah. and I, I, I couldn't do it and also I'm really sensitive well, if there are any existing things, like I know you mentioned that quadrant that you were talking about, and it would not require any labor on your part. If you want me to share it when I release this episode, like as part of like the carousel, I'll definitely include it if, if oh, it exists thank already. You. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, now that like Michael, Michael Edwards heard us, right? And so I think I know, that yeah. changed everything because people really respect him. And mm-hmm. also he's in a higher position than than a lot of us are and he's he's been so kind to me throughout my career yeah, he's, like, wonderful. He's, he's one of my favorites so um he's a real one he's a real uh one. Yeah. yeah he's a real one so yeah and it, it it's like slowly taking and this is like years and years and years and years mm-hmm. but really we started talking about it publicly during the pandemic again a lot of pushback a lot of anger mm-hmm. a lot of hatred mm-hmm. um but I think it's, I think it's changing for me. It's, it's more about also visibility. Like that's why the database is there. Like, it's just about visibility. Like there's so many amazing people who work in this industry outside of just being perfumers who really don't get their due. And this whole like lack of copyright and lack of IP protecting us and all of that sort of thing just makes it even harder to be seen and to be taken care of and all of it. That's something I think is crazy too about perfumery of like, the idea of like plagiarism not really having guardrails the way that it would in almost every other artistic industry. Like could someone in theory smell one of your perfumes, do, um, what is that? What is that thing called? The GC? The the machine? Yeah. Do a GC and just like rip it off and like recreate it. Would Would there be legality issues to that? No. That's what's so crazy about like, this is also why I left because I knew that and not every perfumer feels this way because some some are able to kind of like um, separate themselves from the work. Right. Mm-hmm. I can't. I've always mm-hmm. been very emotional and very sensitive. This is just who I am. 
And mm-hmm. I've leaned into it because I know that that actually is one of the reasons I'm a perfumer. And mm-hmm. I also know that the only way that I can feel good about my work is if I own it entirely. Mm-hmm. Out of curiosity, just hearing you, what is your astrological sign? Uh, I'm a Taurus sun and a Scorpio okay. rising and I Aquarius moon. Okay. I I'm was, all I was kinds of such intense. a Scorpio energy from you, but also that as a, as a Scorpio. So don't okay. take that offensively. No, like I, you know, I know my people when I see my people. So oh, I, I never like, get that. I never get, I always um, get like, oh, you're such a Taurus. And I'm like, okay, cool. I don't know. I was just feeling that. All kinds of intense though. Do you see this like trine? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I love it. It's like just talking to you. It's very clear your, your passion and what you're doing. And I think one of the questions I always ask at the beginning that I forgot to ask you because we got so deep into other conversations and perhaps you've already answered it. But do you have any big, I think this whole conversation has been a hot take, but do you have any fragrance <laughs> hot takes that many people would not agree with you on? Uh, oh, ooh, yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot. Uh, I mean, I don't know. That's why I kind of like relate to Germaine Cellier for being such a like, I say what I want because I'm like, I'm totally, mm-hmm. I'm like that. But nowadays you can't really do that. You get really in trouble. And I also don't want to be like the angry Arab girl or woman, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, cut it out with the dupes on TikTok. That's my hot take. I'm so yeah. annoyed with these dupes. I'm like, guys, people work really hard. Like, I know. I don't think anyone wants their work to get copied like that. Like, that's just not nice. I know it's cheaper, but like, you have no idea how much money we're paying. Like, my bottle supplier for the 15 mils just told me they're going up 15%. 15%. Right. Like, that's just the bottle. I always say, like, if you can, affordable perfume, I am all about it. But if it's affordable because it literally just ripped off, like, the exact DNA of something more expensive, come on. Well, I mean, this is, again, layered because perfumery, this mm. industry. But, like, there are so many dupes on the market, right? And there's there's literally departments that will take DNAs of very best-selling fragrances and make sure to put them out. Look at all the millions of flankers. Look at all of the, mm-hmm. oh, this smells like Baccarat Rouge and, and know. you know, and all of that stuff. So we know it's there. I think it's just more of like the actively buying this and it is a dupe or seeing it. And I'm like, why is this popping up on my feed? Like, I don't want any dupes. Like, mm-hmm. why are you reading me as if I want a dupe? Like that just, must, it, it actually bothers me because it just. The algorithm is offending you. You're like. Yeah, yes, mean, exactly. I am I'm offended <laughs> by this algorithm. And yeah. I would like them to at least give me some more indie brands or something. Shit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. also it, the dupe, by the way, means that you're also the, the, the formula is cheaper. So mm-hmm. you might as well just buy a mass fragrance, which is often maybe also made by a master perfumer. You never know. Right. Like there's yeah. master perfumers who create stuff for niche, for, for mass, for everything. Like there's, it's not about like just because it's cheaper that it's like better quality or worse quality, but the fact that it's a copy makes me mad. An active, obvious copy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When it's called like Fakara and you're just like, come on, like, <laughs> at least pretend, like get a little original. No, but like, or like full on brands saying like, yeah, I, I was like, this is our take on this. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, no, you know, this is, these are too expensive and this is our dupe. There's a brand that starts with an O, I can't remember it. But I'm like, yo, what is going on here? Yeah. This isn't nice. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I have a theory that the algorithm on TikTok is they 
prey on your biggest fears. So you, as an independent <laughs> perfumer, okay, if someone were ripping off your fragrances, like oh that, God. like the dupes. Maybe. For me, it's like um, planes gone. It's like plane crashes of like errors on planes. Uh, it's like murderers. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, like I just am, like all things that they know that I'm gonna see it and not be able to take my eye off and be like, wait, this is a thing. And so I feel like when you go on TikTok, they're like, oh what God. is Dana's biggest fear? I don't know. I don't wow. know. Wow. You know, most perfumers would not be this paranoid if we didn't, if we had our work protected. Like that's, yeah. that's the thing. And actually when I first started out, I was super open. Like, and, and mm-hmm. I have been open. Like, that's the thing. Like, I mean, I started out with the Sentinel, with my blog. Like I was writing about materials. I was sharing the world of perfumery. I, mm-hmm. I've done that quite often. I do that with the podcast. I've done that with the IAO. Like I've shared so much information, but mm-hmm. I've noticed that the more you share, the more people want. And some people are mean. I'm like vultures. Hello. Excuse me. Hello. Remember I mentioned that special announcement at the beginning of this episode? Well, here it is. I always get DMs from you guys like, oh, I just got the Andrea Mock Discovery set and I didn't know you had a code. Is it still active? Yada, yada. Well, guess what? The code is back, baby. I partnered with Andrea again. And now through February 20th, which is next Monday, okay, so you have six days, you can get any fragrance, any size, even the discovery kit, literally anything from andreamock.com at 20% off. All you have to do is use the code PERFUMEROOM20 at checkout and you'll get 20% off your purchase. And I will link the code and her website in the notes of this episode. As I mentioned, I definitely recommend Pavilion. You can check my Instagram for the full length review and you can always DM me if you have any more specific questions. I want to hear about your time in grass at GIP. What was your daily life like? Uh, ooh, daily life as a student. So, uh, I had a really rough time in grass, but mm-hmm. it was also the most creatively fulfilling year ever. Mm-hmm. So it changed my life. I moved there in the dead of January and it was very rainy and quiet. So grass is like a tourist town, right? So it's only mm-hmm. actually busy, like in certain pockets. And there's only a few hundred people who live there and they all know you, <laughs> Somehow <laughs> they all know every, the student, like the, the 12 students who come every year. Right. Right. And at that point we were the 10th year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had started in 2001 and actually um, speaking of perfumers who work on mass and niche, uh, Jérôme Epinet mm. by Rito. Yeah. And actually Cologne and all kinds of things. He, he graduated that first year of GMP. Oh, wow. In yeah. 2001. Okay. Yeah. Or 2000. Cause we were class of 2010 hmm. and, um, yeah, I hated it in the beginning. Cause I like to be in the city. I like to have things to do and there was nothing to do, nothing mm-hmm. to do. And I got sinusitis in the first, um, few months. It was beautiful because we were smelling. Was that from smelling everything? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. My okay. nose, it just like, there was like a, my nostrils just felt like they were on fire. Jesus. Um, and then it got, and then it went away. <laughs> good. And then I was good. And then I could smell everything except for hydroxy citronellal, which is like a material that smells like uh, lilies. I use it mostly mm-hmm. for li- Muguet, Lily of the Valley accords. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Edmond Rudnitska really loved that and used it in Jurella. So, uh, yeah, um, it was an interesting class because the, the 12 of us, we were actually 11 women <laughs> and one guy 
So that was an interesting kind of mix. And we had people from all over the world, more or less. Um, and uh, we smelled things every day. We, it was actually kind of incredible. Like it, being able to put words to materials and be able to test my nose. Because I wasn't sure if I was going to have a good nose. So mm -hmm. when I did my test for school, I did it in New York at IFF and I met Clément Gavari okay. and he tested me. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. And I actually ran into him in Miami this last year and he didn't remember me, but I reminded him and then he mm -hmm. remembered and I was like, you changed my life, man. Like you changed my life. Wow. And That's so cool. it was really amazing. Yeah. And, uh, I remember him being like, he, he tested me on a pepper and he was like, what, what do you smell? I'm like pepper. And he's like, what color? And I'm like pink. And I got it right. Hey, that was sick. That was sick. Yeah. And he actually warned me about grass and told me it was going to be super boring. Mm -hmm. um, and then his dad, Max, the one who mm -hmm. smelled my musk earlier. Mm -hmm. um, oh, his dad. He was. His dad, yeah, Max Gavari was Max our Gavari, professor. Wow. Was oh our my professor God. for creative. So he wow. was really uh, for like creative formulation. So he was really, really amazing. Um, I just, yeah, I was just a sponge. I was devouring information, playing with materials as much as possible. The first accord I made on my own was like a, a vinyl, like a, a nice. an old records kind of scent. Um, yeah, it was really amazing to be able to have like that kind of access to materials and be able to visit all these places. Um, and then we had the year, the, the project that you win, or the, the project that you do, sorry, um, the brief. And we had to mm -hmm. recreate the scent of luxury for our brief. And my perfume was chosen and it ended up winning the year, which was pretty crazy. What um, did it, what were the notes of your luxury perfume? So initially uh, it had to be unisex and we had this, we were put into groups of four and we were three groups of four and this happens every year. And, um, it was more of like a sandalwood palm heavy kind of fragrance, but our concept was really that luxury is time. So we, we had to find like a material and we also had to find a, a brand. So we decided that we were going to do, uh, we found this boutique hotel in Siwa, which is in Northern Egypt where mm -hmm. a small like Amazigh Berber population lives. And it's like this boutique hotel that like, it's all palm fronds and beeswax candles. And our material was beeswax. And um, so they, they the, the sponsoring company would see us in June and then we would create like the chosen fragrance and see what happens in December. So we each four, like four people in each group would show their individual fragrances and one fragrance would be chosen to work on within that group. So they picked mm -hmm. mine. And then we brought down the sandalwood and we called it session, which was like ancient Egyptian for like Lotus. Cause we were talking about also like, Cle like my inspiration was really like Cleopatra mm. uh, or, or Queen Hatshepsut because you know, Cleopatra technically wasn't Egyptian, but anyway, that's a whole other thing. Uh, you know, the idea of ancient Egypt, myrrh materials found during that time, bathing in milk, you know, luxury, luxury, mm -hmm. but old luxury and time again, time with people you love time with yourself, etc. Um, and, uh, I remember one of the perfumers who I, I was doing an internship in grass was like beeswax. Are you really sure you're going to use beeswax, but beeswax was a form of currency back in the day. 
So, and it was, it's delicious. And it's actually quite a, an interesting note. You know, it could be sweet. It could be tobacco, mm-hmm. it could be honey. It could be hay. It could be woody. It's all kinds of yummies. And it's in how you love, which it isn't. Yeah. I well, that's, I mean, I think that session, uh, part of me kind of wanted to bring that back out. So maybe I see it in How You Love and Fayoum sometimes, more in Fayoum mm-hmm. than I do in How You Love. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I'm obsessed with Beeswax Absolute as a result. I, I love mm-hmm. it so much. And I get it from a very specific supplier and always have. And mm-hmm. it's just chef's kiss, perfumer's kiss, just yum, yum, yum. And, yes. um, and yeah, the uh, long story short, cause I, I do give long stories. Um, it, it, it won and they said that, yeah, we made them dream. And that was before a bunch of people called it like, oh, you have your way with the Orientals and this is so Oriental. And are you sure you don't want to bring the frankincense down and the Jasmine down? These were your, your like peers were saying that to you? During the process. But in the end it won. And in the end we brought them to the, to the place that we wanted to bring them. And I was really proud to create like something quintessentially non-French in a heavily, right. heavily French environment. So I was really proud of that at least. But I'm sure, I mean, you've um, also interviewed other people who have gone to my school, my institute. Well, I, I'm always curious because I did, I spoke to Shabi Tavakol and she told me about like the loneliness of grass. Oh, yes. And, like just, I, I'm just, I guess I'm just always curious of people's memory. She said she would like sleep with flowers at night, you know, because she uh, loved them as raw materials. I but cry, also, I like, cried. Yeah, I cried a like, lot. I was like going was through. Yeah, time. I was go. I was going through a breakup, hardcore. Actually, which is which is also so crazy. There's so much crossover. I subletted my apartment from Jessica Buchanan, who's a Canadian perfumer living in Grass. Um, who has a brand called A Thousand Flowers, and then mm. when I went to New York. I subletted my apartment from Shabi and Shabi went to perfume school that year. And I remember Just being coincidentally, like, coincidentally or did you know her? No, it was, um, it was kind of, well, no, I had just met her. It was, it was like, oh, it wow. was actually kismet. And we talked about that. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to name yeah. my brand, my brand name that. And I'm like, I wish I yeah. named my brand name that. Cause it's a really good <laughs> name. But I remember mm-hmm. we were talking about even just the power of kismet. Um, I wrote a piece called flower power on scent and social ritual in Middle East and North Africa, which is kind of where I started talking about just scent and culture and mm-hmm. hoping to kind of be like, wow, do you realize like we have so much scent culture in our own cultures and how beautiful that is and to show mm-hmm. it, case it to the world. And then she reached out to the editor. The editor connected us. I was going to New York to check out the possible job opportunity in Joya she said, I'm going to grass. I told her all about it. And I said, it's going to be lonely. And, um, she left and I, I lived in her room while I, while I kind of like the the holiday, you know, when like they like (laughs) switch places for like vacation or something. It's like your own modern perfume holiday. Okay. Well, I have like 30 questions that I have thought of as we've been on this topic that I do want to get to. The first of which is we are talking about beeswax. And one thing that we were DMing about before we even recorded this episode. Oh, yeah. This, yeah. So this was something that's like come up with that I've been asked about that I've thought about. And you mentioned that you get this question a lot. What are your thoughts on that notion of vegan perfumes? Is it like a marketing thing? Yeah. Are your perfumes vegan? Where, where do you fall on that spectrum? Well, when, per- when people ask me if my perfumes are vegan, I say relatively yes, because I use plants. And flowers. 
You're like, which are you going to eat them? <laughs> which are vegan. So like, yeah. that, I, like that question is kind of confusing to me because I'm like, but perfumes are made of essential oils and raw materials and aroma molecules, all of which are not animal derived for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. So if they're asking me, am I using animal products? The only material I say is I use beeswax absolute. It's a byproduct of bees. Uh, it doesn't hurt any bees. I get it from a very specific source. Uh, and that's it. I think it is a gimmick, kind of like clean beauty or green, yes, whatever. Like I really feel like it's, it's part of greenwashing. I think if you are really afraid of using any animal products, then, then absolutely I get it. But vegan perfume like what what does that mean like that would literally just mean that they're not using ambergris which is not really readily, readily available to most right um castorium which is like it usually comes from like an overpopulation of beavers i also think like differentiating cruelty free and vegan is a you know like it's one thing if you like don't want animal testing but vegan and animal testing are different i find exactly that's what i'm saying like i feel okay. like sure if you want to label your product cruelty free i think that's a good differentiation point of like my brand never do undergoes any sort of animal testing and there's no animals harmed but vegan if it's an animal byproduct that has absolutely i don't know and also you're not consuming it and it's a small amount but but I, if I may, I do still believe that is a, it's a massive responsibility to put anything on people's skin. So as an indie perfumer, artisan perfumer, self-taught perfumer, whatever, we need to know what's in our stuff. And so it's Absolutely. actually kind of, it's even kind of impossible to say, yes, I can guarantee that this is cruelty-free unless I go all the way to to India and see how that jasmine is picked. Go to, right. to go to Madagascar and see how that vanilla is picked. That's still going to be mm -hmm. by hand. Let's let's mm -hmm. look at the environmental factors. All the people working on those farms. Yes, all these large companies say, and I'm talking about the fragrance companies who go, yeah, we're putting all this money into vanilla farms, and you know we're we're really you know helping this community and this economy and blah blah. But then look at the mm -hmm. cyclones and all of that stuff, and all the people living outside of this vicinity. So. Mm -hmm. You can't guarantee anything. So I would much rather say that, the, like, whatever I'm saying, this is what I really, 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 truly believe. And I'm not going to claim anything else. Because if you want to claim something, you need, like, all kinds of certification for that. Yeah. 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 I think this is a very interesting conversation and also just goes back to this idea of, like, how far back are you going to trace the source? You were talking about beeswax. You are talking about how it's in How You Love and Fayum. And... When I was reading about Fayum, I saw that you were talking about sort of reclaiming the O word, which we were talking about earlier, and potentially, and I know you were talking about the quadrants of how you would describe what has typically been classified as that in more of a descriptor way, but that a cultural way that maybe would be sort of like reclaiming the word would be Neo-Eastern. Is that a word that you've been using or how should someone use that word? Um, you know, I did use it when I released Fayum, which was in 2020. Mm -hmm. My mom is an interpreter and we were trying to find ways to, because it's so hard to translate like certain concepts into English and vice versa, because mm -hmm. even in Arabic, the idea of Eastern, when they put it in English, they call it Oriental. So it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah. And even when I put that out, the idea of Neo-Eastern to me was just from an art perspective, like if you were to refer to a piece of art, which I would love, like even in the Arabic art world, 
it's such mm-hmm. a shame that there's no nuance in the Arabic art world. People just call it Arab art instead of Saudi art or Bahraini mm-hmm. art or Lebanese art mm-hmm. or Moroccan right. art or whatever. Mm-hmm. And even Moroccans and North Africans don't always identify as Arab. Again, a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's kind of, it's loaded. The more I used it, the more I realized, and, and someone else had brought it to my attention, they're like, Eastern of where? It could be East of anywhere. Right. Mm. So that's why I don't always use it. And I still much more prefer like ambery or resinous or or the, Stick little, to the smells. Yeah, yeah. Or like the portmanteau of so like ambery woody or uh, ambery gourmand or whatever, or really focus on the region. Mm-hmm. So like say like this is an Egyptian fragrance or right, this is right. Lebanese or this is um, Malaysian or this is Vietnamese or this is Thai, or this is Japanese. And it's like, I, again, back to the cuisine, like it's the same, same, same thing. I think it's it's possible. It's just going to take a long time, which also just means we, it requires more exposure. Mm-hmm. Or people, well, depends on where you live, <laughs> I guess. Okay. So I think sticking to the to the quadrant is probably the best way of just like, what what is this fragrance actually composed of? Stop yeah. using a sort of like cultural lens and use an ingredients lens like you would with any citrus or any floral or anything like that. Yeah. And I mean, you could say like, this smells Mediterranean, but like when people right. say, tell me like this smells exotic to me, it mm-hmm. really bothers me. And right. even my parents tell me like, Yo, it's not a big deal. I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, there's so much othering. It's in othering, that. right? Like, you right. can say this smells like somewhere else, or this this makes me dream, or this, you know, mm-hmm. it brings me. It smells somewhere. like Tunisia. It smells. It smells like yeah, exactly. <laughs> for me, it's it comes down to curiosity and empathy for other cultures, and that's mm-hmm. that's something that you are taught. This is something outside of perfumery that we need to extend and translate into perfumery. I'm curious, like, when did fragrance become a part of your life? And then when did becoming a perfumer become your your goal? Um, scents have been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. Uh, my earliest memory is actually traveling from Beirut to Dubai and mm. alone. I was alone. I was three and a half. And I remember the, wow. uh, this was before, I don't know what they're called, the little hallways to the airplane. The tubular yeah objects that we walk through the things that connect that you get on a plane so you don't have to go outside basically and back in the 90s yeah Yeah. back in the 90s in the middle east you're not gonna that's that that that, that did not exist so Mm -hmm. there was a lot of like going up and down airplanes so my my earliest memory uh, was that and strongly of the um smell of airplane fuel um flowers all kinds of flowers especially jasmine uh Mm -hmm. obviously um, uh, my grandparents, my Egyptian grandparents, uh, I grew up with them in Dubai and they both were lovers of perfume. And my grandma was a big Estee Lauder fan and she mm-hmm. wore like, uh, gardenia and jasmine and white linen mm-hmm. and like all kinds of beautiful things. My grandpa mm-hmm. really loved, um, Jaipur, Boucheron. He mm-hmm. was, yeah, he was amazing. And... Dubai was a lot of Bukhur, so a lot of Oud. Mm-hmm. And it's like such a different culture than I grew up in. So mm-hmm. going to funerals or weddings, you're covered in it. And that scent lasts mm-hmm. for days. When I wanted to become a perfumer, it was... So I came to Montreal at 18 to study. Uh, I have a Bachelor of Arts in Communication Studies. And I specialized in sound because I wanted to sing. And oh, wow. 
wah, wah, wah. And well, no, I have music out there. I just sing every now and then. So there's, you know, check me out on Spotify. And um, what's your name on Spotify? Just Dana Masri. Yeah. Okay, great. And um, there was, and I've, I've said, everyone's heard me say this though. I feel, I feel so bad to be redundant, but my, one of my closest, dearest friends gave me a book called Jitterbug Perfume. And I graduated mm. in three years. And my boyfriend's four. boss was just talking to me about that book. He was like, you need to read this book. I oh, haven't read you it. haven't. Oh, you would love it. You would love, love, love it. Especially if you're like, you know, you have a great sense of humor too. Like it's Tom Robbins is a, is a great writer. It takes a little bit to get into. It's like a saga. Like there's like a lot of things going on and there's a lot of stories going on. And mm. I was, um, I, cause I was unemployed. I didn't have you know, I like, finished school. It was the economic crisis. It was 2008, man. Like it was terrible timing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know what to do. So she gave me this book. Um, and it changed my life because I realized that you could be a perfumer like as a job. And right. up until then, I was self-soothing with perfume. <laughs> you know, I was using perfume to self-identify, to wear before right. bed, to to like everything, you know? And I, I've, mm-hmm. I've worn all kinds of different perfumes. That's why it was hard to answer your like you know, smell question. Um, but yeah, so, um, within a year I looked everything up at that point, my parents were on me about getting a master's. So I was like, what if I find I pivot? Cause I was going to go into like ethnomusicology or something uh-huh. along those lines. I mean, mm-hmm. like the ethnography of things is still very much like the focus it's at of the core work. of what you do, even in fragrance, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the love of sound, like it's all, I am I love blending. I'm a blend, I'm a mix, and I like mixing. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I'm a perfumer mm-hmm. obviously makes a lot of sense in, in that mm-hmm. in that way. Um, so yeah, and then I read, a, I read The Perfect Scent, Chandler Burr, who mentions, mm-hmm. um, who mentions Clément Gavari and Jean-Claude Elena, two mm-hmm. of my OGs and whom I ended up meeting within that year. So the, and the, honestly, the GIP website at the time did not look real. Mm-hmm. Like it did not look like it was a legitimate school or website or anything. So I, I looked for months and months and months. And I, I kept going back to this one because I even thought of like taking chemistry all over again and all of that. But luckily, GIP had a bit of a different like acceptance criteria. And uh, I wrote to them like I like, you know, I'm a writer. So I, I wrote my letter to them and I told them about my first perfume, which was Soleil by Fregonard and I got mm. it in Grasse because my aunt lived in Paris and we were in France and all of this whole thing and and they accepted me I think I was a bit of a diversity acquire because there's like oh she's Arab in Canada okay and then they they were like okay are you you know you have to take your do your test in New York um so I had no idea if I was going to have a good nose I, I didn't know if I was going to have a good brain to translate. I didn't know if I was going to have a good hand to be to be stable, which I'm not sometimes. And you know, I spilt my first lilac accord all over me. Wow. Um. Yeah. But my crotch smelled amazing for for days. A lilac crotch. Yeah, I love yeah. that for you. Okay, so you're talking about music and your and how it influenced. You know, it's inspired your entire fragrance line. It's a big part of your life. I'm going to say a, a, a controversial sentence out loud. Okay, but. I feel the way that people judge people who call themselves synesthetes is the same way that they judge people who call themselves empaths. Like people are like, but you're not actually a synesthete. Mm -hmm. Are you, are you a synesthete? And what are your thoughts on that judgment? I actually, I don't disagree with you. And that's why I take it very, um, 
seriously. I don't actively say I'm a synesthete. I say I have, I've spoken to professors of synesthesia. David Howes, who wrote like Aroma, the Culture of Smell. Um, mm-hmm. If you've, you know, he lives in Montreal and there's a sensory studies um, department. So I went mm-hmm. to visit him and wow. I had all of these, these, these questions. Um, and honestly, my synesthesia was like something that like even from high school. So like, you know, when you had like your little timetable, all of the, mm-hmm. the days of the week had different colors for me. And whenever I'd ask people like, don't you think Thursday's winter green, which is the example I always give because it's the strongest one for me. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I see like people's auras. I don't know. People have colors. Days of the week what have color, colors. What color do you see with me? You actually are kind of like a peachy orange. So kind really? of like what you're wearing with like, the, you know that oh, little wow. painting in the back? Look at that painting. Yeah. That little, yeah, that. I look a peach oh, wow. candy. You're like a fuzzy peach. And um, and it changes. I mean, our color, the colors of our aura changes, right? Depending on how, our moods, I'm sure. But, you know, like just general vibe. Uh, and mm-hmm. then smells absolutely to me had um, colors and shapes. Sounds had smells. Mm-hmm. So it's like different forms of synesthesia. I did a couple of tests. They turned out like, yeah, you got it. But I still say, I don't say like, yeah, I have it. I say like I have synesthetic tendencies or mm-hmm. I have really strong intermodal perception. Ooh, okay. Strong intermodal perception. Yeah. And I also think that there's a spectrum with that the same way. I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of judgment placed on people giving themselves labels. But if you look at your entire line, which is so intrinsically linked to song and sound and it's I'm holding a mixtape in my hand you know which I painted yeah we didn't even talk it's beautiful thank you anyway but yeah I mean I that was the idea for me at the time before a lot of the European music brands came out the perfume music brands I really I knew that one I noticed the connection of music in school obviously two my synesthesia made sense like I would remember things I'd be like okay this this is this because it smells or sounds like that or vice versa. I have a similar, I have that with like oak moss. Like I hear a sound with oak moss yeah. and it's like, it's like, and then I'm like, that oh, makes sense. And I think we're yeah. all born with it. We're all born with mm-hmm. synesthesia. It's been proven. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of like how you, and we're, we are very much in a multi-sensory world now. So I think that we're only going to get stronger with our intermodal perception from here. Mm-hmm. With mm-hmm. the brand, I really knew that I saw the really strong disconnect between what people understand is perfume and relate and uh, how do they relate to a perfume brand versus now, right? And so mm-hmm. I was like, okay, if I could connect it to something as universal as music, which is something that doesn't necessarily require a language. And perfume is, and scent is so subjective, which requires like extremely specific language. Maybe mm-hmm. it will make things easier for people to understand. And uh, yeah, it's like more approachable that way. And I'm all mm-hmm. about creating this multi-sensory, multicultural lens because that's that's what we live in. And it's mm-hmm. so hard to express scent. Like scent is such an, a real life thing. And we're, we've been living in such a URL kind of mode for so long that... I want to be able to kind of encompass you in as many senses as possible. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we, I could talk to you literally for two more hours with everything I want to talk about within your kit, which of these was, I guess, two questions. One, which was like most personal for you to make and secondarily, and it might be the same fragrance 
which was most challenging to make and why? Each of them are extremely personal, just representing different parts of my life, I guess, mm-hmm. or different parts of what I'm trying to extend outwards. Because I don't, I rarely wear my own perfume. I like wearing, really, yeah. Like I, if I do, I'll, I'll layer it, or it's accidental because I'm just making it. Right, it's like all um, over you anyway. Yeah, but I, it's a gift to others. Or it's like a moment in time or a concept. Um, jazz, I would say, is maybe the closest in that I wear Jasmine so much. And I mm-hmm. had made a version for this thing called Take Care of Yourself, which was an exhibit. And then I made a version for myself that I didn't want to share with anyone. <laughs> so that was that. And then Fayoum, too. Fayoum, I I just made it for creativity's sake because after New York, I... I, I I went to Fayoum and I was so inspired by these artists just creating with no like deadline, no nothing, no expectations mm-hmm. um, that I waited several years to make that public. So I, I'm very attached. Even when I make stuff for other people, I'm very attached to that work, um, mm-hmm. which is why I'm saying not every perfumer is like that. Um, mm-hmm. The hardest to make, Neon Graffiti was challenging. It was the first one I made. It mm. was challenging because you know it's not that easy to create something that's like uh fresh and floral and woody at the same time you know like it's a lot of different worlds happening in there uh Fayoum was hard for the clay note I was like I need to figure out this clay date accord um so yeah I would say those two were the the hardest to work on within your perfumer's organ which of your materials do you find yourself reaching for most frequently? Well, my mom makes this joke that enough with the cardamom because it's accidentally in How You Love, Neon Graffiti, Otis, mm-hmm. and that's it. Yeah. But those I are also cardamom. the first, like, me too. I find it so versatile as a material. It can be mm-hmm. floral. It can be zesty. It can be spicy. It can be green. It can be earthy. It depends on which which you're using. And the first four perfumes, so like Lead, Four, Otis, How You Love, and Neon, I would say are also the most classic in the sense that those were out of perfume school, right? So mm-hmm. I was still very much under the French structure in a lot of ways. And it was my debut. So I was mm-hmm. afraid to go harder. Like Neon, I think mm-hmm. I, if, if I were to make Neon now, I would make it much more Neon. Like way mm. more aldehydes, but I needed, it was yeah. a debut and I needed to make sure that people liked it. How You Love People Hated for several I years. I love How You Love. People love How You Love now. Uh, and I think it's you also- want me to, Can I tell you what it reminds me of? Yeah. Okay. So the reason I love How You Love is because it feels so tender and it feels so intimate. And when I sprayed it, my, my cat was sitting right at my feet and she looked- she had this like content look in her face. Like, I don't know if you Aww. have any pets, but she was just kind of sitting like this. And I just had this like feeling of like, not that this fragrance smells like my my cat, but it smells <sighs> like what I feel like my cat like makes me feel Aww. like just this like, like it feels like butterflies in a field. It feels just like this innocence. And I, I just of like loving, loving a child, loving a pet, loving it. And I just was like, whoa. And I was like, Am I high? Like, why am I like, why is this perfume literally my cat right now? But every time I've worn it since I've gotten it, I just have this feeling of like, it's, it's like a forehead kiss in a fragrance. Oh, I love that so much. I love that so much. Well, you you got it. I mean, 
my intention with that is for it to be tender and for it to be a cocoon of love. So that, that's really it. I think maybe people really didn't like the beeswax in the beginning, the first few years. Mm. I mean, so many perfumes don't do well in the beginning. Look at Angel. It took 10 years for it to like... I know. Kapow, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I think maybe it's the Uranus aspect of the beeswax honey note. But I that's like the a only pussy thing. perfume. Yeah. <laughs> Me too. I mean, yeah, like look at like Reeve Gauche or Kuros or any yeah. of the greats. But I mean, I wouldn't wear those myself personally. And th- that's yeah. another thing about how you love though is that it's it's slightly pissy, but it's more comforting. But not really. Pissy. Yeah, no. I see what isn't. you're saying, but it's not. It's, it's so very, slight. It's, it's so, so tender. Yeah, yeah, like for, it, it kind it, of matches this color. Like it just does. This, like, it's very blush. Yeah, it's and so it's, blush. It's like the inside of the womb. And, yeah. Um, it's low octave too. So the idea is that it's not, it's actually the most low octave of my fragrances, the quietest. It doesn't have a long mm-hmm. or really huge sillage. And mm-hmm. it's really just meant to make you feel good. So I'm, I'm so glad. Like, yeah, I'm so I glad to it. hear that. And then lead four, which I also love is very different, but I just like, I'm wearing it right now. And I just, it kind of feels like my alter ego. Like I feel like a little bit cooler than I am. I mean, it is a very like seventies rock and roll vibe yeah. if you like patchouli that's that's the one for you it's my it's my least seller because of the patchouli but i know that whoever wears it it's because they like patchouli so i already i already know that and i i don't mm-hmm. make my stuff for everyone right like i know again i love a pissy fragrance so <laughs> patchouli <laughs> yes <laughs> i mean i like i like a person who can like you know give give things a chance yeah, yeah. a little bit and i know like my my visuals or my packaging is not as like high end as everyone else's. And that's because I can't afford to spend $7 on a cap, but I put most of my love and energy and money in my materials. And I am a one woman show and I do everything myself. I write my own copy, um, everything. Yeah. It's it's all handmade with love. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. But it really shows you how like the zeitgeist works and like just, culture and timing and like look at jazz like I had no idea jazz was gonna I was so nervous about jazz because I was like Mm -hmm. I don't want to make another jasmine perfume I want to be able to create something that has a meaning or a message and like when people ask you like why aren't you releasing anything I'm like I have nothing to say or I'm I'm working on things like it takes two to three years to work on something Um, and there's too many there's too many things on the market and so when jazz Mm -hmm. I was like, oh shit, you know, is it too basic? And no, it made people happy. And that's what it's makes me happy. It's such a good, sweet jasmine. It's just like jasmine in its like purest form. Yeah, that's what I was hoping for, you know, like this beautiful feeling of like, whoa, I'm under a bunch of jasmine. And I live in Canada, so I miss, I miss yeah. flowers and just greenery in general. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think like a mile end inspired everything bagel fragrance would have the same. Uh, to it so I mean, I've I, I thought think about jazz- it though hmm. okay I mean yeah, I, would I, I wear a bagel fragrance I'd probably I'd probably dabble if we're being honest okay we have one final segment of the show and it is rapid fire scent association called what's that smell mm, what's that smell I'll just throw out concepts people, oh my places. god I didn't I didn't realize this I, I've only listened to snippets of your podcast and I actually wanted to do something I was like I wanted I play the game what's that smell with myself Oh my god! Okay, yeah, great. like I walk through. So you're like, ready. I I love this game because like well no because like I'll walk through anywhere and I'll be like what's that smell what's that smell and I'll guess it like there was one time I was getting a tattoo once and the hallway smelled like no joke cocoa like dried cocoa and sriracha mm-hmm. sauce 
And turns out it was a caterer that was using both. And I was like, it smells like cocoa and sriracha sauce. What are the odds? And you got it right. What's that smell? What's that smell? Okay. Well, this might be a little more abstract and less literal, but you yes. know, we'll, we're, fun, we're playing. Fun. Okay. I love it. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Okay. What is the smell of, wait, listen to this. Okay. You could tell I took French in high school. Montréal. Ooh. Okay. But Montreal in the summer or in the winter? They're different cities. All right. What's the smell of Montreal in the winter? Montreal in the winter smells like nothing. <laughs> it's sad. Winter okay. here is below zero Fahrenheit. Okay. Yeah. I'm not yeah. trying to go. And snow is, yeah, it just smells dry. You can smell slush. Sometimes you'll smell charcoal, like coal burning. So that's nice, like wood fire. Um, in the spring, you'll smell maple sometimes. So that's, that's mm. something to look forward to. Cut grass and lilac, etc. That's, mm. that's Montreal spring is delicious because you have magnolia, you have lilac, you have the cut grass, you have life. <laughs> you have I sun. Love it. love it. What is the smell of Lebanon? Pine, laurel. Jasmine, gardenia, cedar, cypress, and my grandmother. Okay. What is the smell of New York City? Ooh. Um, burnt rubber, uh, like gasoline, diesel, trash, sometimes really yummy, yummy, yum, like musky laundry detergent from the vents. Yes. That's very specific, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Love. Um, pizza dough in certain corners, other corners smell like fish. Um, New York is one of those things where like smells are so transient. Like they'll just like, you can smell so many different things in a three second pocket or from walking from like one block and Baccarat Rouge in a, exactly. And when I lived there, um, I hope it's not the case anymore, but, uh, Santal 33. I know you're going to say that Yeah, yeah. everywhere at a bounds. I know. Yeah, and this was, I lived there in 2016. Like, that's a long time. It still smells like Santal somewhat, but I feel like the, I feel like Baccarat has taken over. Oh, and no. It's, it's everywhere now. Okay, what is the smell of the color purple? Different, depends on the shade for me. Of like a bright, uh, like a bright bluish purple. Uh, that would smell like a blueberry compote with a drizzle of cream and powdery iris musk. Mm. Okay, what is the smell of a screeching sound? A baby screeching or a car screeching or a cat screeching? You know, I didn't think about these nuances, but let's go with, I'm very uh, audio olfactory, as you can see. I'm seeing that. Okay, baby screeching. Baby screeching would be, like, really high up there, eh? So... Almost like a white pepper lemon vomit. (laughs) Yeah, that checks out. That feels good. Okay. (laughs) The final question. What is the smell of Jasmine Sarai? I mean, you got it in eight perfumes. Isn't that enough? (laughs) I know, but you have to give one answer. Well, this is the thing. I have like such a hard time. Even when you give me two answers, I'll give you a third. Like, I'm just like that. Um, what is the scent of Jasmine Sarai? Well, it's the amalgamation of scent, music, and culture. So for me, it smells like the wind. It smells like love. It smells like self-knowledge. It smells like precious materials laying in sand. 
I love it. Dana, this has been so wonderful to talk with you. For everybody listening who is now running to go try your fragrances, if they have not already, because so many listeners are already such big fans of you, where can they do so? Um, jasminesarai.com. I'm sold out of so many different things because I make things and my 50 ml bottles are late. So I'm so sorry, but put your name on the back and stock list and I promise I will get back to you. Please believe that it's just me. Um, so I will get back to you. Uh, but yeah, jasminesarai.com. I have a couple of retailers in the US right now. Oh, it would be 812, 812 in Austin, Olfactive. Mm -hmm. Um, some of you may know them as like the subscription service. They also have like a retail space in PA. Is that Pennsylvania? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then, yeah, like a few retailers, uh, in Montreal, if you're in Canada, but yeah, online, um, I ship to the U S the UK, Canada, sometimes Spain, Italy Amazing. and Germany when they let me Germany when they let you. Okay. And where can people find you on social media? It's J.S. Parfum, J-S-P-A-R-F-U-M-S, -S, because Jasmine Sarai is a very popular Mexican girl's name and has been taken. Interesting. In Did all its forms. That. I didn't either because I literally just put three words together. Yeah. Who knew? Okay. Well, Dana, it has been a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for coming on the pod. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Perfumer is edited by Wyatt Peak. Music is by Max Vernon and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez.